John's Gospel, chapter 19, please. I just say with delight that this morning after the meeting, salvation came to the house, someone came to Christ, and we were delighted. Came with a heart that realized they needed a Savior. And after a bit of a lengthy talk with myself and two persons with one came to the Lord Jesus and saved for time and eternity. We give God all the glory for the things that he's doing in our midst. Turn with me, please, to John 19. I'm beginning to read at verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then answered he him therefore unto them to be then he delivered him, therefore, to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is in Hebrew, called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two on the other with him, one on one side and Jesus in the midst. You'll excuse my reading, my glasses are... These are new glasses. I'm getting used to things. The Lord, Lord willing, will be okay the rest of the evening. Let's pray. Father, we worship you. Thank you, Lord, that you allowed your son to go down the Via Dolorosa, that way of suffering, to die for us at Golgotha. And we just bless you tonight and thank you for your great grace and all that you're doing in the house of God and among your people. We ask you now, Lord, deal with us and speak to us and glorify thine own self, we pray. For Jesus' name's sake we ask it. Amen. The Lord Jesus is brought to what is known as in verse 13, the judgment seat, a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. I want to look, maybe not get there tonight, but from Gabbatha to Golgotha. And how our Lord was beaten, and how he was whipped, and how he was mocked and scorned, and how he was bruised. And then sent forth carrying his cross, and there on the way he would fall under the weight of that. Because of the things that he had suffered that evening. And under the weight of that, they would get a man called Simon. And the Romans would compel him to carry the cross of Christ. We want to look, God willing, also within the next two weeks of how that man and possibly his family were affected by the cross of the Lord Jesus. And how the blood of Christ would have been upon that cross and would have been upon Simon as he was compelled to carry the cross. We also want to look at how women followed him crying and weeping and the Lord Jesus told them of a great judgment that was to come, that there would come a time when they would cry onto the mountains and onto the rocks to fall upon them and to cover them. 
want to look at that, but first of all, let us look at the evening previous to John chapter 19 and verse 13, where Pilate brings Christ to Gabbatha. That evening would have been an evening that would have been a night like never before in Jerusalem. What a night for the people or the inhabitants, the visitors, even the tourists that would have been there that night. What a night it would have been for the disciples who were among them and walked with our Lord Jesus. What a night it would have been for Pilate as Pontius Pilate was lying sleeping in his bed only to hear his door rapped for him to get up in the middle of the the night to, to sort out a mess. What a night it would have been for Herod. He would have been deeply disappointed for he expected Christ to be a performing bear and that he didn't even get. But what a night it would have been for our Lord Jesus. What a night it would have been for him as he was tortured that night. What a night it would have been for him as he was beaten that night. What a night it would have been as he was interrogated That night, and as they took him and arrested him, what a night it would have been for anyone in that place of Jerusalem. What a night it would have been for Christ. And imagine he who knew no sin, did no sin, was yet without sin, he went and he done it all for you, and he did it for me. Jerusalem that evening, that day previous, even the week beforehand, was coming up to Passover time. And it would have been heaving with people. Would have been thronged with crowds. Hustling and bustling and pushing in. Pressing into Jerusalem the city. To get inside the walls. Looking for what you and I would call hotels or B&Bs. The bed and breakfast. Somewhere to lay their head for the evening. For Passover was a busy time. And people would have come from near and from far. And as they came, they brought their sacrifice and they brought their offering to offer unto God. For Passover was when they would have remembered how God said to Moses to tell Israel in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, how that when he would release Israel from the bondage of Pharaoh, that one night he was going to pass through. Notice the word. He says, tonight I will pass through Egypt. And he was passing through in judgment. He says, but tell the people to take a lamb. And to slay that little lamb. And to apply its blood unto the doorposts and the door lintels of your house. And the Lord said, tonight I am passing through. But when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I ask you this evening, should you stand before Christ tonight? Will you pass through that place of judgment as you stand before Almighty God? Will you stand in your sin and be judged according as how you are tonight? Or will the Lord's judgment pass over you because you are under the blood of the Lamb? Here's the thing I want you to recognize tonight. The Lord wasn't saying, when I see who you are, I will pass over you. He didn't say, when I see you, that you're religious, that I will pass over you. He didn't say, when I see how nice a person, or how good you are, or how hard you're working, or how submissive you are unto even your taskmasters, how moral you are, that I will pass over you. He said, 
I recognize one thing. And one thing alone. He says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The only thing that God will recognize in the day of judgment. And there is a day of judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. And the only thing that will cause judgment to pass over you. And the only thing that God will recognize is the blood of the Lamb that is applied to yourself. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jerusalem was heaving. (coughs) Jerusalem was thronged with crowds. And in fact, some people say between priests and Levitical priesthood people uh, and between people who would come with religious backgrounds that they're teachers or they're rabbis. But when you added them all together, they say there could have been 20,000 alone in the city for Passover. Imagine 20,000 religious leaders. Imagine 20,000 devout so-called religious people. Imagine 20,000 people who say they know God's word and and obey the Torah as they called it. Imagine 20,000 in one little city and yet they miss the Christ of God. And yet they miss Jesus. You know, you could be looking all over the place and you could be as religious as you want and you could be in your denomination and you could come to Elam here in Donnacloney or whatever. And you can still miss Jesus. Here we have Jerusalem. They are thronging in. Pressing in to the city that week. And coming up to the night when our Lord was betrayed. And when our Lord was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. These people would have been thronging and singing praises. Do you realize that Jesus came, that he knew what he came for, and that was to die for you? And that when Christ came to die for you and for me, to redeem us, to reconcile us back to God, he knew he would hang on a cross, that he would suffer and bleed and die an agonizing, torturous death. And he still came. He still left the ivory palaces. To die on a rugged tree. Here we have them thronging the place and they're singing praises. They're looking to go up to Jerusalem. They're traveling through the country and from other countries. They're looking to go up to Jerusalem. Looking to ascend the steps of the temple. Looking to go in through the gates of the great temple. That mighty edifice that took 46 years to build. It was a massive building. And they wanted to squeeze, to crush, to press in to the outer court if they even could get that far. In order to meet as it was with God or should I say, to appease God through some sort of religious philosophy. So all the people are thronging and they were singing. They'd have been singing, they were practicing. And what were they singing? What would they practice? Well, if you were to go to Psalm 120. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134, we have what's known as the Song of Degrees. The Song of Degrees. 
And the song of degrees means the song of the ascent. Now by the time Jesus is here, this religion is twisted. There are around 613 oral commands of man and traditions of men that are placed there by Edomite Jews like Herod. That are placed there by men who never were Hebrew or have never were Israelite. They brought in the teachings of Babylon. They brought on the teachings of the Samaritans, as it were, Samartia. And they mixed it and they mingled it with the word of God. And the rabbis, as though you and I have a commentary on the Bible today, the rabbis, they made up these laws. These things like the washing of pots and pans for, for cleanliness and holiness. And if they didn't keep them, they were lawbreakers. Yet the Lord didn't give us these laws. And these people were bound. These people were bound and they bound every Judite that was there that day. Because it all infiltrated through all of their worship. And Jesus said to the leaders. He says ye are off your father the devil. And the people were misled. And the people were taken by the nose. But they still went to the Old Testament to sing these psalms. Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. The songs of the Greece. Or as they're walking towards Jerusalem. The city set on the hill. They would have sang them as they move forward and as they walk. And as they get to the temple, they move into the next psalms and they sing them again as they go up and up and up as though they're ascending into the holy hill, the mountain of the Lord. Here we have them singing and these songs of degrees, there's 15 of them and they're put into five groups of three. And these five groups of three, this is the way they can be Separated every time you read three, 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 the whole way through them. The first psalm would have been sung, would have been Psalm 120, and every time you read the first psalm in the groups, the first psalm is a cry of distress. Psalm 120, verses 1 and 2 says, In distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. In other words, they're starting to rehearse. They're starting to sing. They're starting to worship. And they're crying with distress, in other words. They're saying, Lord, this is who we are without your salvation. This is what we are without God in our nation. This is where we have fallen from and this is where we are now. And it's a cry of distress unto God. And it's also a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. As he hung bleeding and dying on the cross of Calvary. In distress he cries to the Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the word forsaken is a word that means why have you left me alone in this God forsaken place? I'm abandoned father. And so as Israel would have sang these in the Old Testament, now the Jews are singing it in the New Testament as it were. In those New Testament times, they're singing, they're crying with distress. And their great help is sitting probably in Bethany. Now, great help is is sitting probably walking through Jerusalem. They can't even see him, they miss him. Friend, what's your distress tonight? 
There was lying lips against the Lord Jesus, for they brought forth false witnesses to witness that he said certain things, that he was a king and that he made himself equal with God and all these things, but they twisted and turned his words. What is your distress tonight? What is it that really distresses you? And I say that the one who can take your distress, he bore it all on the cross of Calvary. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. The second psalm would have been Psalm 121. The first one is a cry of distress. The second one would have been a, a, a cry or a song or a declaration of trust. So as they're singing, they sing Psalm 120. Then they go into 121. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh mine help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. You see their trust. First of all, they're so down. That's the idea. We are so lowly. We are so lost. We have no help nor hope. We have no salvation. Then that is the cry of distress. Then they come with the declaration of trust. I lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh mine help. Mine help cometh from the Lord. I wonder when they're saying this, are they looking back to Abraham and Mount Moriah? When the Lord tells him, Abraham, take thy son, thine only son whom thou lovest, and to offer him up for a burnt sacrifice for me. And Abraham takes him up to put in the knife, and the Lord stays his hand, and he has a ram caught by the horns in a thicket. I wonder, are they thinking back to that story? I wonder, are they looking back and saying, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh mine help. Thinking of Abraham. How a ram was a substitute. And the ram was slain in the place of Isaac. And friend, the great substitute was in Jerusalem. The ram, the lamb, was the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was right before their very eyes. He was right in the midst of them. And, and they looked backwards. Instead of looking to Christ. He took our place. He's in our stead. He's the one who took our sin and bore our sin in his own body upon the tree. He is the one whom we look to. Could it be that they were looking at this great mount where the temple was? And they're saying, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh mine help. Looking at the temple where the Lord says he would dwell. Mine help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and the earth. You see how they're singing as they're going up to Jerusalem. How they're singing as they're making their way up into the temple. So the second one, Psalm 121, would have been a declaration of trust. The third one obviously comes Psalm 122. And it would have been a song of triumph. I was glad, notice, not sad. <laughs> I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Are you glad that you've got the Lord's day to go into the house of the Lord? Are you glad you have freedom and liberty to go into the house of the Lord? Or are you sad? <laughs> Is it a chore? Is it a burden? Friend, I could live with God's people in his house praising every day, every night of the week. 
He says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. He says, my feet, my feet, they're saying, personalize it, shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. And they're triumphant in their praise. Now listen, Jesus is there. And he's listening to this. And he's hearing it. And here is the Savior among them all. And they're missing him. We can be so religious to think to come to our denomination of the house of the Lord and miss the Christ of God. So as they sing the Lord in the midst of them, the master then, as darkness falls, and he takes them into the upper room to break bread. And he reveals his heart unto them. As he reveals his heart unto them, he takes bread and he blesses it and he breaks it and he says, take it, this is my body, which is broken for you. He breaks the bread to represent his death in Calvary. And those men are sitting around him and one Judas Iscariot would go and betray him. And so they sing. We're told they sing in him. It's the great Hallel, the Hallel of God, the Hallelujah, the praise of Yah. And Jesus, knowing the cross is before him, praises his Father. And he worships Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And he sings it and he glorifies his Father in it. And he gets up and he walks out and he goes down through Jerusalem over the brook Kidron. And he goes to Gethsemane. What a night this must have been. I'd love to be able to be there just to watch it. And silence is falling on the city. People have had their fun. They're going to have another day the next day. But Jesus is still awake. His disciples are sleepy. They start to get tired. Christ goes into Gethsemane. Gethsemane is actually an Aramaic word. And the word in Aramaic really gives the idea of an olive press. An olive press. And there was gnarled olives trees where they would have went and taken the olives and crushed them for every need of the city crushed them and used the olive in it for binding up wounds and rubbing in for an antiseptic or, or to try and, and soothe the pain of someone hurt something. They took the olive and, and they used it for lighting up their homes. But they took the olive and they crushed it and they purified it. Simply, it was called fresh oil. It was also called green oil. It was green because when they crushed the olive, they had the purity of the oil. In other words, it was the first oil, the real oil, the unadulterated oil, and it was green. And that's what they took and put in the temple. Oh, when the psalmist says, Thou wilt anoint me with fresh oil, the word there is, You'll anoint me with pure oil, Lord. You'll anoint me with fresh oil, Lord, just as you anointed your high priest. You'll anoint me with the green oil, straight from the olive, that which is unadulterated by man's hands. You will anoint me with that oil. And they took that oil and they lit the lampstand in the, in the temple. And they anointed the high priest with that unadulterated oil, symbolizing the Spirit of the Lord. Now, Lord Jesus goes into this place, Gethsemane. And we're told that the weight of our sins come upon him. And so heavy is the weight. So great is the burden. So hard is it for him to take as a human being. We're told he falls on his face in the scripture. Falling on his face doesn't mean he fell and he was okay. It gives the idea of an improper verb. He fell on his face. And he struggled and he got up and he fell again. 
And he struggled and he got up to hold himself up and he fell again. And Christ struggled and he pulls himself up and he falls on his face again. It means he fell again and again and again, time after time after time, with the weight of my sin and yours. He falls with the weight of it. You know what God was doing in the olive press? He was crushing his olive. He was crushing his son. You know why? The pure olive oil on adultery from God would come forward for his church. That he would have freshly anointed ones in Jerusalem that would go forth and preach the gospel. He was crushing his son in the olive garden in Gethsemane. And he prays, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And people say, see, he didn't want to go through it. No, friend, he came to go through it. And I'll take you some night in the scriptures of that, or some morning maybe, and I'll show you that he came. And what he said was not what people make out, as though he was afraid. Our Lord came to die. He came for a purpose. It wasn't off by chance. Nevertheless, not my will, he says, but thine be done. And he goes back to his disciples. They're up all night. They're tired. They're sleeping. And as he goes back and forward, can you not watch with me one hour? Then suddenly we're told that there was a noise in the garden, as it were, and torches would have been seen. And there comes Judas Iscariot and the Praetorium Guard or, or the Temple Guard with some probably Roman soldiers also. We're told there was quite a number of them, maybe up to 600 of them, gathered around the Savior. tend to think there's a wee half dozen of them. There's maybe up to 600 of them surrounded the whole hillside to arrest the Christ of God. What a night it would have been for the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus says in John 18, he asked them a question. He says, whom seek ye? Who are you looking for? And they say unto him, Jesus of Nazareth. And he saith unto them, I am he. He stands forward to protect his sheep, his disciples, and he stands forward and he says, I am he. And the he is in italics, if you're reading the, the authorized version. It's in italics, which means it's not in the original. It's there for the flowing of the English translation. And all he steps forward and he says, Whom seek ye? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am you know who that is? It's the God who told Moses, go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go that they may worship me. And he'll say, who will I say sent me? When they ask me, he says, tell them I am, that I am have sent you. We're told in John chapter 18, and in verse 6 when he says, I am, he says, he went, they went backward and fell to the ground. Hey, whom seek ye? 600 soldiers. Jesus of Nazareth, I am. And he stumbled back and fell to the ground. Here's the wonderful thing about this. The Lord here was showing and proving his power. And it occurs before he even surrenders. He didn't surrender or then squiggle about and say, Oh, I'm by the way, I'm the I am. No, friend. He showed his power and knocked him to the ground. And then he submitted himself to his father's will that he would be arrested and go to the cross. 
stand before Pilate later, does he not say, even at this present moment, think ye not that I could not call 12 legions of angels, 72,000 angels. Do you want me to be delivered? I could do it. Call 12 legions of angels and they would come to my rescue. Thank the Lord he didn't call even one. If he had called one and they rescued him, we would be lost. Still in our sin. Without Christ and without God and without hope in the world. So here we have him saying, I am. They arrest him. Old Judas Iscariot kisses him on the cheek. Listen to this. He's taken to Annas. Annas used to be the high priest. Now his son-in-law Caiaphas is the high priest. But Annas really holds sway still. They go to Annas and they go to Caiaphas. They take him there and he is quizzed and he is questioned. He is interrogated. He is mocked and he is beaten. And then they send him to Pilate. And Pilate says, well, you know, I don't want to get involved. Send him to Herod for he's a Galilean. And Herod was the puppet king of Rome says, send him to Herod. He was a Galilean. So he goes up to, to, to Herod, who was in Jerusalem at the time. And Herod thinks, this is great. I've heard about this man, Jesus. Never met him. Never come across him. And he starts to question him. We're told that in Luke chapter 23 and verse 8, that he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Be a performing monkey for me, Jesus. That's what a lot of people think of Christ, isn't it? There's nothing what a lot of people say, say, well, you know, if Jesus does this, then I'll believe. No, friend, you believe, then Jesus does that. In verse 9 of Luke 23, it says, Then he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him not a thing. Jesus didn't open his mouth. Never opened his mouth once. You know why? Herod took John the Baptist and he had his head cut off for the sake of his brother's wife whom he was having an affair with, her daughter. He cut off the head of John the Baptist and John the Baptist was proclaimed as the prophet has said and fulfilled in John the Baptist. He was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And when Herod cut off the head of John the Baptist, he silenced the word of God. And Jesus was the word, and he spoke not one to Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate. What a night. What a night. If that was you and I, we would be exhausted. We've been beaten. We've been whipped. We've been beaten. We've been smote with rods. We've been taken and manhandled, we've been punched and slapped and we've been up all night, we've had the weight of every human sin upon us. Imagine that. You ever get the time sometimes when you're feeling guilty about something and the distress of it? Or the weariness of something that has stressed you out? Or the hopelessness of something that you feel upon you? And the helplessness you feel at times and the worries and the fears, Christ took it all upon him. Of every one of us, of you, that he would carry it away from you and that in Jesus you would be liberated and forgiven and saved and cleansed when he died on the cross of Calvary. Listen to this. What a night. 
We're told in John 12 and 12 that the band and the captain of the officers then took Jesus and bound him. That is in the garden. Then we're told also in Matthew 26 and verse 47, in Gethsemane, a great multitude with swords and staves arrested our Lord. Then we're told in Luke chapter 22 and verse 63, it speaks of the men that held Jesus. And then in Luke chapter 23 and verse 11, it speaks of Herod and his men of war. Notice the term. Herod and his men of war were in Jerusalem and they set him at naught. In other words, they made light of him. They made a mockery of him. They hated him. And they beat him. What a night. What a night for Jerusalem. They're sleeping by now. What a night for the disciples. Most of them have run away by now. They were sleeping in the garden. What a night for Pilate. Dear help him, he had to get out of his sleep. What a night for Herod. He was disappointed. What a night for Jesus. What a night for him. Herod sends Christ back to Pilate. Pilate tries the master and he finds no fault in him. And he comes out saying, I find no fault in this man by now. It has, coming, it has come light and people are standing, thronging the streets. And we're told that the Jews were crying, crucify him, crucify him. And the idea there is that there was going to be a riot if they didn't get their way. Listen to what John 19 and verse 1 says. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. The scourge here is the flagellum, what's known as the flagellum of the Romans. And they had like as what we used to call a cat of nine tails of a whip and they had interwoven in the leather. They had bits of sharp bone and bits of lead that when they whipped their victim, taking great swings and they whipped him, the sharp bone in the lead. The lead would have been like a multitude of bullets entering the flesh. The bone would have curled around under the ribs and into the kidneys and even through to the very lungs in some people. And it stuck fast in the body of those who were the victims and in this case, stuck fast in the body and the back of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they had to take the handle sometimes with two hands and tear it from them. And they tore their flesh in great, long, thick strips. In fact, we're told in some occasions that you were able to see the inner organs. It wasn't just a wee whipper in the back, a few cuts. They mutilated him. They mutilated him. They tore his very flesh from off his back. They mutilated our Lord. One stuck in his back. Rip it out. Two stuck in his back and rip off the flesh. Three. Thirty-nine stripes. Most people died. Isaiah 15, verse 6, 750 years previous, the prophet says, 
I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. They whipped him and they punched him and then I went over and pulled out his hair. Grabbed him by the hair and ripped out his hair. A bleeding, exhausted, mauled, mistreated, manhandled, abused man stands before him. That is before Pilate. Isaiah 52 and verse 14 says, His visage, His visage was so marred more than any other man. Isaiah looking through the spirit of prophecy. And he's seen him and he says, Oh, his visage is marred more than anyone I've seen. See the word here for visage? It's a word mare. And it gives his appearance is so marred. His shape has even changed. The very outline, the contours, the looks of Jesus, it gives the idea of his handsomeness is gone. His handsomeness. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The word good is kalos, the attractive, the beautiful, the handsome, the winsome shepherd. He's now mutilated. Just a mess of pulp and blood. And Pilate, a man whose breath is in his nostrils, he takes him to the pavement to the judgment seat. He stands him at Gabbatha. He judges our Lord, condemns him to death. And as he turns, they put a cross upon him. And he went bearing his cross from Gabbatha to Golgotha. There's more to the story and in the Lord's will, we'll talk about it next week. He enters the Via Dolorosa. It's the way of suffering. The sorrowful way. Winds his way down through Jerusalem. He was outside the city walls. How do you know? Hebrews tells us he was crucified outside the gate. That's where the dung refuge heap was. That's what they thought of him. Put him out with that which is unclean. And they miss Christ. May the Lord bless his word to us this evening. And realize that God, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, did it for you. And he did it for me. That we might be saved. Thank you for your attention. You could hear a pin drop tonight. And when you lift up Jesus, who else? What else could draw, should draw your attention? the Christ of glory. Bless his holy name. Thank you, Jesus.